Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, so good to see you, and uh, if you're new, my name is Mark. It's especially, we're especially grateful that you're here, and I just want to point out a group of people that are in the room who are teachers, who are superintendents, who are principals, who are school counselors, who are school nurses, who are bus drivers, who serve in the education. Would you do us a favor? It's been a crazy week for you. Would you just stand so we can honor you today? I know you love that. Would you just stand and let us do that? If you're in education today, yeah. We thank you. As a parent, we all say thank you so much for the investment that you make in the next generation. Well, as Isaac said, we are in part two of our series that we're calling Brand New. And so, uh, in fact, if you're new today, maybe this is your first time to, to try church again or to be at church in a long time, that I just want to let you know that today's message is a little bit unique in that it's more of a family talk. But here's why I am glad that you're here today because you're gonna get a chance to kind of have a peek behind the curtain and see who we are, what we're about, and where we're going, and see if that's a place that you are drawn to. So I'm really glad that you're here today. One of the things that we discovered in part one last week is that Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago as the founder of Christianity, and he came to introduce and launch something brand new. In fact, he, as we saw last week, was sort of replacing this idea of a temple model where you attend and you learn, you attend and you learn, and then you go about your week as if nothing had happened and you can kind of compartmentalize things, but instead he replaced that with loving God, loving others, and loving even our enemies, but to be about love. And when that happened, his earliest followers, they began to launch this idea of the church. And for the first 300 years, though there was opposition from those in authority who found the devotion to Jesus to be a little too extreme for them, and maybe even a little threatening for them, everyone else was beginning to find this idea of Jesus and the church irresistible. Irresistible, the church had become. The question is, what happened? Because now people find the church resistible. In fact, more and more people are finding the church resistible. What happened? In fact, I have a question. When did it happen? When did the church begin to be resistible? And I believe one of the turning points in history we have on a calendar is October the 28th, 312 A.D., Something happened on that date that the church has never fully recovered from because on that date, the Roman Emperor Constantine was going to battle his co-emperor, Maxentius. And that night before the epic battle, he had a dream. And in his dream, he had a vision of Jesus Christ. And in the, in the dream, he was told, in this sign, conquer. And he was convinced he was to fight in Jesus' name. And so the soldiers were encouraged, commanded, to then paint this Cairo, this symbol on their battle gear. And it's the first two letters of the word Christ in Greek. 
This became the rallying call, and guess what? The next day, they won the battle, and the world changed, and the Holy Roman Empire was born. Now, it wouldn't be called that until around 13th century. It was very much an empire, though. It was certainly Roman, but it was anything but holy. The Holy Roman Empire decided we will fight in Jesus' name. And Constantine became the sole Roman emperor. And when he became that emperor in that century, that fourth century, here are some of the things that he did. First, he legalized Christianity. Think about it. Up until that moment, Christianity had been on the fringe. It had been the minority. It had been those who would be persecuted. They would love during the plagues. They would serve people who were on the fringe. They would love the poor. They would reach out and even sacrifice for those who were other than. And all of a sudden, those in power kind of co-opted this faith and said, we will now fight in the name of the way, the name of Jesus Christ. He not only legalized Christianity, but he also banned the crucifixion. And he began temple building. There was a great campaign where temples were being built, where cathedrals were being built, and money was being funneled to the bishops and those who were in religious authority. But last, and this might have been the most damning of all, Christians defined themselves by what they were against instead of before who they were for. They were against heresy. And it was during that century, if you know history, that we begin to see the councils, that we begin to see the creeds, because it was about theological clarification and this idea that we can't believe incorrectly So much so there was one theological controversy called the Arian controversy. And this is the whole idea we're kind of battling over the word begotten and where Jesus, his origin, his divinity. And it's during that time that Constantine has an edict that reveals that you will be punished if you believe incorrectly. Look at this edict from Constantine in the fourth century. He said, and I hereby make a public order that if someone should be discovered to have hidden a writing composed by Arius and not to have immediately brought it forward and destroyed it by fire, his penalty shall be death. All of a sudden, the church is executing people who believe incorrectly. No one's being arrested for loving too little. We're executing if you believe incorrectly. And I can't help but think that Jesus is shaking his head and saying, could I have made this more clear? I said in John 13, I said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples by the wars that you win, by the arguments that you win, by the theological nuance that you achieve. No, this is how people will know you are my disciples. Jesus said, if you love one another. But in the fourth century, that began to change. And I think love, in a way, was lost. And we've been battling for it ever since. And some people would say, in the modern church, we're battling for love again. Because love sometimes gets lost. So the question is, how do we get back to the way of Jesus? 
And I think the question that we have to ask is, well, what was it that made Jesus and that early church so irresistible? And I think that's what we want to wrestle with today. You see, if we're honest, when Jesus walked the earth, he did this remarkable thing that I just can't get over, and that is, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And he liked them back. What was it they liked about him? I mean, if we're honest, he spent most of his time with people that most Christians wouldn't even feel comfortable being in our churches I mean, the woman at the well, the the woman caught in adultery, the leper or the poor or the tax collector, the sinner, the beggars. And yet he continued to invite people to feel at home with him. Jesus, in fact, allowed outsiders who were nothing like him to feel at home with him. And you know who this drove nuts? The religious people. They were so bothered by this. Why are they getting the grace that we've earned? You didn't earn it. Oh, that's right. But why are they getting it? Right? It's this idea of why do they allow, why are they allowed to feel at home with you, Jesus? And as we saw last week, Jesus replaced sacred places with sacred people like you and like me. You say, why are people sacred again? Tell me why. Because I see people behave a certain way. They don't seem sacred to me. I hear people believe a certain way. It doesn't seem sacred to me. How in the world can those people be sacred? And here's what we're reminded of. Anyone that you can look in the eye is someone made in God's image and someone Jesus gave his life for. Jesus came to say that everyone is sacred. In fact, he goes further to say everyone deserves Everyone that we come in contact with deserves to be treated as sacred. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at someone next to you and tell them you are sacred. Go ahead and do that. Now, do you believe that? You don't have to answer that. Hopefully, hopefully you do. You are sacred. You aren't sacred because you've done something great or because you believe something great. You are sacred because God made you in his image and Christ died for you. Therefore, you are sacred. Now, our journey is to grow in our relationship with Jesus and we become, as the Bible talks about, this idea of sanctification. This is growing in our faith. It's growing in our relationship with him. But you are sacred. And make no mistake about it, never be confused. So is everyone we will ever come in contact with. They are sacred. And there is no greater example of Jesus and how he feels about people who are very different from him than the story we're going to look at today. And I'm going to be honest with you, it is one of my absolute favorite stories in all of Scripture. And I hope you'll look at it with me in your Bibles in Mark chapter 2, the second book in the New Testament, Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, grab one there in the pew. You can turn it to page 813. We'll be there in just a minute. Mark chapter 2. I really want you to see this fascinating story. And let me give you context for it real quick. It begins with a miracle at the beginning of the chapter. In fact, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. If you know the story, there is actually a man who's lowered through the roof of a building who's paralyzed, who Jesus heals. He walks out of the house. Think about how miraculous this moment is. And everyone begins to uh, praise God, to be in awe. They are amazed. And it says they've never seen anything like this. What a miraculous start to chapter 2. 
And Jesus leaves this miraculous moment and he immediately goes to an outsider so that he can feel at home with Jesus. To go to someone who is nothing like him so that he can feel at home with him. I want you to see one of the great stories in scripture. And in our divided culture, this story shines a light in darkness. So Jesus leaves the miracle that he's just performed in verse 14. Look with me at what it says. And as he, Jesus, walked along, he saw Levi, who later would become Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, anytime we see tax collectors, we always have to stop and remember how repulsive a tax collector would have been to a first century Jew. It is nothing like an IRS agent of the first century, right? We're not excited to see them, but we kind of dislike them. They despised them. Why? Because they were extorters. They were betrayers. They had sided with the enemy. They were actually lining their own pockets by taking advantage of their own people. They didn't just dislike them. They despised them. And Jesus walks up to the despised tax collector and he begins to speak. And he doesn't do like Constantine, draw a line in the sand and fight. Instead, Look what he says in the rest of verse 14. Jesus walks up to the despised tax collector and he says, Levi, follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Not a lecture, but an invitation. But it's the rest of the story that is gonna drive the religious nuts. Look at verse 15. By the way, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, like right away, it's like he was, excuse me? It's one thing to walk with this man. It's another thing to go to his house. It's a different thing to sit and eat with him, especially in the first century. When sitting at a table and having dinner with someone would have been like a covenant of friendship. It would have been almost endorsing the other person to be seen sitting and eating with someone. So much so that Jesus is risking his reputation in order to reach out to this outsider. He's sitting and having dinner with Levi. But that isn't all. To really appreciate the significance of this dinner, look who is on the guest list of this particular dinner. Look at the rest of that verse. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, say this word with me, many. Many, not one, not two, but several. Many tax collectors, those despised people and sinners. I always love that tax collectors don't even get to just be a sinner. No, they're a tax collector and then there are the rest of the sinners. There's like the rest of us who are bad, but they're a tax collector. That's the worst. And there aren't just one or two like... He's brought the whole union of tax collectors. He's reached out to all his colleagues. He's like, look, he is nothing like us. I know he's Jewish, we're Jewish, and all the Jewish people hate us, but I'm telling you, he, he allows us to be here. He wants to eat with us. We're safe here. You gotta come and check this guy out. So they're all eating with Jesus. I picture a table as these people are gathered around who are despised by the other Jewish people, and they're sitting there with Jesus. If you're new and in the, your own story, you feel like you've wanted to resist church for whatever reason. You might feel like there's not a seat at the table for you. You might feel like you're not good enough or you're not qualified enough or that people don't invite you to really participate in the church, in the meal. I just want you to know that Jesus doesn't just tolerate you. He actually 
puts you on the guest list. You are on the guest list of Jesus and you are invited to his table. He wants you to be at home here. No matter what you believe, no matter how you behave, Jesus wants you at his table. He wants you here today. Now, if you are a Jesus follower, he reminds us of our job. We're to make room at the table for those who are on the outside. But here's the really good news if you're a Jesus follower. You're on the guest list too. Look at the rest of verse 15. It says, And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. I don't know how big the table is, but they're all there together. They're having a nice meal. There were many who followed him, Jesus. And I gotta be honest with you, of all the people who are at the table, I would love to know what the disciples, the closest followers of Jesus are thinking in this moment. As they look across, I almost picture like there's In-N-Out on one side and there's Whataburger on the other. Like they don't really get along. They're kind of coexisting, but they're not happy about it, right? But Jesus is here, so we all feel welcome here. But I wonder what the disciples are thinking if they're not thinking, Jesus, this is your chance. You know what they've done. You know who they are. You know what they do. Let them have it. They're like a captured audience, right? This is your chance to take a bold stand, to let them have it. Don't miss this opportunity, Jesus. And instead, Jesus sits down and he shares a meal with them. And he allows them to feel at home there. And the disciples are kind of confused because it's this beautiful moment that they must feel awkward, they must feel challenged, and yet they can tell there's something beyond them going on here. Oh, but the religious have had enough, and they finally speak up into this scene. It's the Pharisees. Look at verse 16. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they're not going to ask Jesus. After all, he's performed all these miracles. Like, I don't know what's going on with that guy. But I'll ask these Jesus followers, these disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Can you explain that? And I don't know about you, but when I read this story, I am both a, like bothered by the attitude of the Pharisees, and yet I can relate to the attitude of the Pharisees. They were bothered by those who were there. And I think this is the tension that as a church, churches have to wrestle with today. Because here we are. And we might say, well, anybody can attend our church. Absolutely. And I think we mean it. But the question is, can they belong here? Do they have a seat at the table where they can eat here? They can wrestle with their faith here? Or is this more like the temple model where we just attend and learn? It's messy if you start letting people belong here, if you start letting them be here. And I think most of us would say, no, 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 we, we, we want people to be here. We want people to be able to be part of our community. So let me push a little further and ask, what about Democrats? What about Republicans? What about people who see immigration differently than we do? 
What about people who see gun control differently than we do? What about people who see abortion differently? What about people who see sexuality differently? Are they allowed here? Do we have a seat at the table? Because in the reality, in the first century, there was no one more offensive than that tax collector. And Jesus said, I will give you a seat at this table so that you can experience my love firsthand. You ever wonder why the Pharisees were so focused on the sins of others? I often wonder if the reason they were focused on the sins of others is because it kept them from having to focus on their own. And if I'm honest, sometimes I wonder if my temptation to protest others' sins is to keep me from having to confess my own sin. Meanwhile, these poor disciples, they're sitting there so confused And the Pharisees have asked this question, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And they're sitting there choking their food down, heart beating fast, going, I don't want to have to defend this. I don't know if I even like it. I just know I'm here and Jesus is here, so this is where I'm supposed to be. But yeah, they're there, and yeah, we despise them, and I can't defend this. And Jesus, as only he can, speaks up. And he makes a statement here where he throws down the gauntlet and makes a game-changing statement as to what his focus really is and why he came to earth. And you just gotta see this verse. Verse 17, he says, on hearing this question of the religious, people like me, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So we've decided, hey, during this series, we want to have a memory verse every, every time, and that means we just invite you to consider memorizing this verse. And so this is our memory verse for this series brand new. Would you just say this verse out loud with me? Say this with me. On hearing this, Jesus said to him, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Mark two seventeen. Jesus did not come to win a political argument. He did not come to win a military battle. He didn't even come to enforce the rules. He came to heal sick people and to rescue sinners. Now you may be tempted to say, well, Mark, that's not all he did. He did sometimes take a stand. After all, there's that story in the Gospels where he overturned the tables. He didn't just always sit at the table. Sometimes he was the warrior who overturned the table. And there are times we just need to take a stand and overthrow tables. But as we really appreciate the context of that real story, we remember that actually Jesus had gone to the temple. And if you remember, the temple was reserved for the Jewish people to go in and pray. However, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, were not allowed into that temple. They were on the outer court. They were in the Gentile court. That's where they prayed. And guess where the religious leaders set up their tables and their wares to sell and lend? In the Jewish court, I'm sorry, in the Gentile court, in the outer court, preventing the outsiders from coming and praying. And guess who had enough of that? Jesus showed up and he said, nope, you won't be keeping outsiders from access to God. It won't happen on my watch. And the bottom line is Jesus, when he comes to this table with the tax collectors and sinners, 
He sits and he turns up at tables to welcome the outsider in. But when the insiders won't let the outsiders in, he shows up to turn over the tables. He never protests the outsider. He's showing love to the outsider, but he will leave places when the outsider is no longer welcomed, when the outsider is no longer invited in. Jesus was very clear that the healthy don't need a doctor, the sick do. And so, with that said, why is this such a big deal? Why did it really matter to Jesus so much that people felt at home, that they felt this sense of belonging? After all, couldn't Jesus have done this a lot easier if he'd have just walked up to Matthew and said, Matthew, what you're doing is wrong. I am God the Son. I have come to save this world. I want you to follow me, give your life to me, and from this day forward, your life is gonna have purpose. Wouldn't that have been easier? Like, isn't that what we want? Just give them the truth. But Jesus understood something that I often forget. And the way the human heart has been designed in the image of our God who is in constant community in the Trinity, this is the reality, that humans are not on a truth quest. We are on a belonging quest. We're looking for home. That's why heaven so far off draws us. We are looking for belonging. We are looking for a place in which we can connect with other human beings and we can go on this journey together. And when one of us stands up and says, I have all the answers and you are wrong and I am right, belonging is lost. So Jesus didn't lay down his core beliefs at all. And yet, those who were nothing like him were welcomed at his table. He went to the margins for the sake of the outsider so that they could feel at home. So with all that said, we've been really wrestling as a, as a leadership team. We've talked about this as a board this summer, and for the last few months as a team, we've just been wrestling with God, what is the new vision that you want for us going forward? What is the bullseye on the target? Who do you want us to become as a church in the culture in which we live in light of this approach by Jesus? And I just wanna share with you a very simple, brand new vision. At LifePoint, we wanna be, we aren't there yet, and God will lead us in, in the ways that he wants to lead us. We want to be a church where anyone can belong before they believe. That there is a seat at the table here. I was talking to PG not long ago, and he said, what I love about that is, same direction, new words. The reality is we don't want this to be a place where there's any hesitation for people who aren't there yet, for people who are searching we said last week that our mission as a church is simply a restatement of the Great Commission. We wanna be a church where we share Jesus and build believers, that's it. And last week we talked about building believers. We talked about the idea of getting in community and growing your faith, that we need each other in order for that to happen. And today we're talking about sharing Jesus. How will we share Jesus? We wanna be a place where the people that you know and do life with could easily come and find a seat at the table. Why? Because the Christian community should be the most non-discriminatory it doesn't matter to us who you are, group of people on the planet, because everyone is sacred, because they're made in God's image, and Jesus himself died for them. Now with all that said, so then what happened at this dinner? What was the result of this dinner that had to have been so awkward for all these disciples? We don't know what happened to some of the tax collectors or sinners, but we do know with Matthew 
who became one of the closest followers of Jesus, who then believed after getting to belong. He followed Jesus so closely that he walked through the public ministry of Jesus and he ended up writing and recording the very first book in our New Testament. He then eventually became a martyr and he died for the man at the head of the table. And all because this perfect, holy, sinless God the Son walked up to this despised tax collector and said, follow me, and allowed him to belong, he eventually believed, and he was part of launching the church of which you and I are a part today, all because he was invited to belong. I believe in Collin County, there are many Levi's. People who search and they long to, to, to find home, they, they want to belong, but all they hear is, what the church is against, who the church is against. May we be a church, may we continue to become a church where anyone can belong before they believe. So with that said, okay, new vision statement. We put that on a piece of paper, we file it. We go back to business as usual, right? Oh, that's our prayer is this is the beginning. We're asking every ministry to really begin to wrestle with, what does it mean in your ministry to create a place where anyone can belong before they believe? Let's give you some starting points. First, it begins with uh, even our greeters. Our greeters who are here, and by the way, you greeters are like an army of warmth. We're so grateful for you. In fact, if you greet, would you just stand so we can honor you? Those of you who do that regularly, thank you. Would you just stand? Thank you. These are the people. These are the people when you invite guests that will extend the belonging out into the parking lot now. They will be the face that welcomes them and says, no, you are welcomed here. You have a seat here. Please, please come. I know you don't know where the bathroom is. You don't know where the ministries are. You don't know where the coffee is, but we'll help make that happen because we want you to know we want you to be here. We want you to belong here. Our music was... This vision will influence like our, things like our pre-service music. It influences how we say things from the stage, including the way that I teach with double-barrel preaching, the idea that we're both talking to those who believe and to those who don't. If you follow Jesus, if you don't follow Jesus, you're here. We're at the table together. Groups, we want that to be a place where even non-believers can go and find community where non-believers can go and wrestle with issues of faith and ask the questions in a safe place as they search for truth. We want our community to know we're here outside of these walls, that we serve them. In November, we have a series that we'll be doing called Outside the Walls. Where we're just gonna serve our community as best we can. What we want our community to know is that they are better because we're here. And they can drive by and say, I don't know if I believe what those people believe, but I'm glad they're here. Ultimately, though, it's the culture here. That there would continue to be here a growing culture of grace. And we're going to talk about that next week. I'm going to be honest with you and tell you, we won't always get this right. So we'll ask for your forgiveness in advance. But we believe it's the center of the bullseye God is leading us toward. 
And we want to fight in Jesus' name. We want to love in Jesus' name. In our divided culture, that's going to be something different. The reality is, here's what we do know. Every Sunday is someone's first Sunday to come on our campus and they are all seeking to belong. They are coming looking for a home. And we want to become the kind of place where anyone can belong before they believe. I want to invite you to embrace that. I want to invite you to prayerfully take a journey with the Lord and say, God, I want to embrace that. I want to, I want to embrace it the way you want me to. And so on your way out today, we're going to give you an opportunity to take the vision home with you. I'll talk about how in just a couple of minutes. But let me just ask you this as we close. What if we don't? What would be the cost if we decided, no, I don't want to do that. That's kind of messy. That's kind of uncomfortable. I would rather it just, we're fine, right? We don't need to get uncomfortable. What if it were just the disciples at the table? What if it were just believers at the table? What if we just painted on our battle gear and we shouted about what we were against, like Constantine and the fourth century soldiers did? I believe all of history reveals that doesn't work. Jesus showed up and introduced a brand new way. That's harder, it's messier, it's more complicated, it's less clean. And that is, God, I will love you and I want to expand in my love for you. I will love others and I will expand in my love for others and I will even love my enemies and I will expand in my capacity to love them too. I will serve the least of these. So I wonder how many Levi's there are in Collin County. And here's what I know. Historically, when people who follow Jesus decide to courageously embrace this Jesus approach, the church becomes irresistible again. And the world has changed. Why not here? Why not now? Why don't we become that kind of a place? A table where anyone can belong before they believe. Why? So they can meet Jesus. And if we did that, that would be something brand new. Let's pray. Father, as you lead us into this new season, Everything in me, everything in us is to go with what would seem most simple, least disruptive, and yet you've called us in this brand new way. That throughout history we see Christians veer away and come back, veer away and come back, but yet you remind us that we are all sacred in your eyes. God, help us to be a church. Help us to be a generation that veers back toward that brand new way you introduced 2,000 years ago. God, let us see that we are sacred because of who you say that we are, 
We have value because of who you say that we are. And we have a purpose that goes beyond our own life. Help us share Jesus. Help us build believers here, God. And help us to make a seat at the table for those who don't yet believe. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.